Welcome to Friday 15, Andy Hoare. It's Friday. <laughs> and I love our intro music. Very nice. All right. Welcome, everyone, to Friday 15. My name is Brian Beck. I'm here with Andy Hoare. We're the partners here at Master B2B, your thought leadership series and community of e-commerce executives for B2B digital commerce. Andy, happy Friday. Welcome to another episode of Friday 15. Yeah, great to be here. So it's important to note, in fact, Brian, I meant to mention this to you. We won't be broadcasting next Friday because it's Thanksgiving, um, True. but we will have a special podcast that we're going to put up in its place. So stay tuned for more information on that. Yep, it's exciting stuff. So yeah, we're taking a, a short break from our Friday 15, but um, you know, next week, but happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Uh, so excited to get a little, a little downtime, get a little sleep, catch up on some sleep, watching college football, all good stuff, Andy. Right. Who's uh, Rutgers oh. playing this weekend? I'm sorry. Who's the Rutgers losing to this weekend? You stop, dude. Come on. Are you you're still sore because we beat you like eight? Hey, Northwestern's going to be bowl eligible. Can you believe that? Really? And they wow. hired the coach. I mean, I thought they were predicted to win 1.5 games this year, and they're going to win right. six, maybe seven, I think. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah Rutgers really has good. six wins. They're already uh, bowl eligible, and we have a really a patsy this weekend. We're playing Penn State. Um <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we we get i think we have three of the top like top 10 teams uh top five teams uh you know in the in the in november october november so yeah we don't have it easy well, well uh we've got until usc and ucla and all the rest of them join next year have no, fun next year exactly well well again welcome everyone to friday 15 we have some uh some cool and exciting uh breaking news our fun little music there, our cheesy, uh, you know, Channel Five at Seven, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, news, uh, news uh, reel there. It's but the news you can trust. That's right. So, Humane AI Pin is a seven hundred dollars <laughs> smartphone alternative you wear all day. This is just getting creepy, Andy. What is? What's this about? Well, it, it looks like a Star Trek communicator. I don't know if you were a Trekkie fan when you were earlier, yeah. younger, but uh, it's what it looks like. So, what this is, is a little pin you wear in your chest, yeah, and it can. Um, it can project on your hand. So it covers the screen issue with that. Although it's kind of limits what you do, but you can like click your fingers. Um, can you, you like you can now with the, the new uh, iPhone? Yep. So that's pretty cool uh, that it can do that. But the communicator idea is that it will all be voice activated. So it's AI driven yep. and you'll just talk to it and say, order a pizza and I'll go, great. I'll get the pizza down the street or where's the status of my Amazon packages. <clears throat> so it's former Apple people. And yep. they're betting on this idea that people are going to want to talk to the devices as opposed to look at them necessarily. So I see a lot of application for this in B2B, though. I mean, can you see somebody in a warehouse walking around with one of these things on, checking the stock on their hand? And companies will love it, I hate to say, because people won't be there checking their text messages. Yeah, right. No, it's 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 interesting where the AI continues to evolve and the applications are just incredible. And I know, Andy, we're going to do a lot of talk uh, as we get into 2024 at our executive roundtables about AI. It's a huge uh, uh, you know, topic of interest with our community. Did you see this news? Amazon's business state of procurement report reveals key uh, procurement trends. So Amazon just uh, last week um, published its state of procurement. You know, what's interesting about I, I read through this, Andy, a couple of key stats, you know, 95 percent of decision makers acknowledge there's room for improvement in this process. 85% are finding difficulty in sourcing suppliers. 81% had mandates to buy from certified suppliers. They can't find these are sustainability. They, you know, these large organizations have standards 
um, you know, by which they have to find product. And Amazon Business is trying to address some of that. And, you know, and remember, Amazon is the everything store, right, Andy? I mean, you know, that's Bezos' original mission has three billion products on it. They're doing this in B two B as well to get the product to the buyer that meets these meets these needs. And they're after this plan spend, the procurement spend. What's your What are your thoughts on this? Well, all I'll say is, you ever heard anybody, company or employee, talk about how great their procurement system is? Right. <laughs> so they're, I mean, it's just inefficiency on top of inefficiency. Some of them have streamlined, you know, how, how you go about doing that. There were some leaps forward right. uh, with some companies, um, you know, in the last several years, but it's still a highly inefficient process. And what does Amazon specialize in? Inefficiency. Right. That's right. Uh, Bezos famously said, your your margin is my opportunity, right? And so they're they're looking for places where they can attack in B2B and procurement is a, is an area, um, you know, and, and you know, frankly, B2B companies, our audience, um, you know, has has left the door open in many cases for Amazon, for vertical marketplaces, for solutions um, to come in. I mean, you look at some of the solutions that have come in to kind of play the middle ground here where there is inefficiency and they exist purely based on that inefficiency. Certainly, Amazon business's growth is driven by a lot of that. So I think. You know, I think we're going to continue to see uh, more of that uh, shift. And that's one of our predictions for next year uh, is that we're going to see more shift towards Amazon business, particularly from the mid market, um, uh, you know, some of that volume movement. So and then did you see this, Andy, Amazon is blocking promotions of employees who don't comply with his return to office policy leaked documents show. This is an, a story from Business Insider. What are your thoughts here? You know, I saw some headlines that said uh, Amazon, it was a leaked memo, so it wasn't intended right. for public consumption, but stuff like your manager will be made be weighed, be made aware right. <laughs> of, right. of your absences. So the thing that was interesting to me is not that the management believes in this return to office stuff, because a lot of them, you know, it's kind of like you have to see, people want to see you there to work and you can't really tell, tell people, you got to go to the office, but I'm going to be at home. So there's right. the hypocrisy dilemma right. there. So you get right. that the management team has to be there. But what this is saying still is that if you're a really effective employee, I don't care who you are, you got to be in the office three days a week. And if you're not, your manager will be made aware. Now, we don't know how far they're going to take this. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I don't know. When are we going to move beyond this and just realize that everybody's circumstance is different? Some people, you got to babysit them. Some people, you don't. Right. Some right. people... I was talking to somebody the other day and they said, look, I, I'd be willing to make that trade off. If you want me to come to the office, I'm going to work nine to five. Right. If you want me to work the way I'm working now with some flexibility. You're going to get me in the evenings and on the weekends, but you can't have both. And so right. that's right. the thing with these companies, I think are still, I think a lot of this is just rhetoric, but we'll see. That yeah. said, mm -hmm. it does show that Amazon, you know, really still has leverage as employees and is driving things here because they're always doing new stuff. And you mentioned right before we went on air, yeah, that Amazon announced yesterday, I think it was, that oh, they're going to be morning. Yeah. They're going to be selling what online next year? Cars from Hyundai. It's amazing. So actually all the way through the purchase apparently, that there's not a lot of details around that Andy, but what, from what I've read uh, it looks like they'll they'll go all the way through to purchasing the car, and then you go to the you go to the dealer to pick it up, um, and maybe there's some you know some additional things that happen at the dealership. But yeah, buying cars. I mean, this started with eBay Motors, if you remember, and and now we've got you know we've got Amazon doing this. 
you know, and what drove it, right? It's the fact that the millennial, that the younger buyer doesn't, doesn't want to deal with the car dealership. They, you know, again, you know, eliminating pain, eliminating inefficiency, eliminating things that take up people's time. This is well, what I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if when the truth comes out that the dealers actually don't kind of secretly love it too, because during oh. the pandemic, they yeah. didn't have to hold a lot of inventory on site. They didn't have to have a lot of salespeople there. Mm -hmm. This is a cost efficiency for them too. And it's a double win for younger generations because it's a cost efficiency yep. and um, it's a better customer experience. The question yep. I have is, is Amazon's CPQ capability and be good enough so that you can like select the interior, or, you know, what that does require a unique tool yep. set, but I'm sure Amazon thought uh, through it. They so. already, man, they already have, Amazon already has, you know, kind of make model configuration for aftermarket parts and accessories. So yeah, I, you know, shout out to our friend Trent Guyer at, at Grasshopper Lawnmower. Hey Trent, let's sell some lawnmowers online. <laughs> so these big commercial lawnmowers through Amazon, these are ten thousand dollar units. But hey, you know, they're they're going to be selling twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollar cars. Why not? So Plus there's a B two B opportunity here too. I mean, companies can buy and maintain their fleets online. Right. They could be tracking these things. It could turn into subscrip subscription where you get it. Yep. And you use it for a period of time and you just swap it out the next year. And so it's more like a leasing thing. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. Yep. Fleet management's a big deal in B2B. This could be an entree into yep. that. All right, Andy, we got to get to our topic today. We're already 10 minutes in here. So we're, <laughs> we're so bad with our, our timing. Our, here's our topic today. Are traditional e-commerce metrics still the right measures? And uh, why don't you take us through some of the, some of the uh, traditional measures here, Andy? Yeah, the whole point of this is that there's some classic traditional metrics, and there are some innovative new sort of digital centric ones. And the big three are always, you know, revenue metrics, cost metrics, and customer satisfaction metrics. On the revenue side, though, the traditional metric for digital, and it's an unfair standard, and we've had discussions about this, is that it's really only about lift. Yep. Are you generating incremental revenue? Right. Everybody's for incremental revenue. It's, yeah. you know, babies and puppies and American pie, right? You know, who's opposed to it, right? <laughs> Except that it's not realistic because right. if you're preventing shift to other uh, customers, then that's actually preserved revenue, which is also important. So more modern metric is really around the shift, the preservation of shift. Yeah. On the cost side, this is the easy one. Can you reduce cost to serve? But I do want to note that one distributor, major distributor told me once that by moving from offline to online, they increased yeah, yeah. their EBIT by two percentage points for a wow. distributor. That's significant. That's so huge. that cost to serve is real. Yeah. Uh, and then the customer satisfaction stuff, CSAT, MPS, et cetera. People kind of believe in that. I don't think that's controversial. But as you and I have talked about on the next slide, this is kind of sort of something that gets lost in the discussion. And it's this idea of organizational efficiencies, sales team effectiveness. Mm -hmm. And a big one for me is cross-channel influence. Yes. Mm -hmm. These are not things that are traditional metrics, but man, are they important when it comes to digital. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, and we asked this question on LinkedIn, we have a poll in a few minutes here that will reveal, um, you know, what the result was. But, but Andy, I think a lot of our digital heroes out there, the folks that are VPs, D, uh, you know, digital officers, VPs of e-com, directors of e-com, are out there trying to make arguments and build business cases around things. And they're being forced to use metrics which don't reflect these things because the the C-suite doesn't often understand, you know, cross-channel influence. What? You know, so digital, you know, how do I measure that? Do, do I believe these metrics? 
you know, that, that you know, that e-commerce and digital can impact other channels. Uh, you know, and, and I talked, I, you know, you and I both, we talked to probably 20, 30 executives every week, uh, you know, about about things and what's top of mind. This is a real issue as you create your ROI case, your business case for 2024 and beyond in justifying this. There's still a lot of pressure to use those incremental metrics, use things that, oh, well, is this going to add revenue? And it's and in our predictions this year. We said this isn't this. We got to forget this incremental stuff. This is really existential. And the C-suite really needs to get this. And we're going to talk about that in our next Mythbusters, right? So Yeah. You know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Jesus Sports Analogy. What happened when the three-point shot was introduced into pro basketball for years? Nobody used it. Right. And all of a sudden, they figured they could use it. And then now the game is completely shifted. And so the speed right. with which you score, the number of three-point shots you take, these are all metrics, air quotes, that right. weren't relevant before but are relevant now. And I think just a quick look at the next slide. Yeah, we wanted to show you. This is an eye We wanted to show you some traditional versus sort of new school metrics. This is something I had from years ago. You can ignore the numbers, and for the people on the podcast, they can't see them anyway. So, uh, but like conversion rate, shopping cart abandonment rate, average order value, those are classics. Nobody disputes any of those. Although I will say, average order value in a digital environment is a a suspicious metric because if somebody's having a great experience and they order more frequently, the AOV may not go up. Right. Yeah, it may actually go down, which used That's to scare better. the crap out of people. Like, oh, AOV is going down. Yeah, because they're ordering more; they're having a better experience. So that's an example of where you have to look at it differently. But the ones in green here: percent of total online sales by repeat customers. Yeah, there's a loyalty metric. That's not something that companies typically look at when it comes to just digital only customer service costs. Hey, if you're deflecting calls from the call center, right. think about how much money you're saving here. Right, because people are using the web. Are you capturing that metric? And then, of course, the last one. This is the big one for me, and it ties into product recommendations and other things. By using digital, we almost always see people add additional lines to their orders. Right, they build the the cart. Right, the basket gets bigger. They see a recommendation, they add something to it. You know, traditional metrics don't capture that um, the yep. way they should. So, well, these all point to my favorite, Andy: share of wallet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I still remember my conversation with Steve Baruch, the former C, CMO at, at MSC Industrial. He, well, they looked at, they look at every one of their customers and they say, "How much share of wallet do we have from each customer? How much could we get?" And that's one of their primary metrics. I think that's perfect. They're doing almost seventy percent of their revenue from from digital channels, and and you know, and then from that flows a lot of these other things. But that that's those are the these are the kind of metrics though. The ones in green. Here, the ones Andy just highlighted, the one you know, share of wallet, things like that. That's where we got to go. This is this is an interesting stat from our own research, Andy. What are we showing here? And yeah, so we just asked, what percentage of your B two B offline sales would you estimate are influenced by your online site? This is something that many companies don't even track, and this is a self reported survey metric. Right, you should be able to measure this. You should actually be able to use cross channel attribution to figure out what these numbers look like because. Yeah. Your website clearly influences all your other channels. But when you look at digital as its own channel and you look at incremental, for example, only, and it has right. to support itself, which is kind of a silly notion in the year 2023, but we're still having this conversation. You're ignoring all yeah. of the value that digital brings as an influence mechanism. Right. So, so, and for those on the podcast, what this chart is showing here is the percentage of B2B offline sales. Would you estimate how much would you estimate are being influenced? 
by online, your online site. And, you know, the numbers, you know, 50 to 74 or 75% and above, I mean, we're talking, you know, this is, this is, this is 30, 40, 50%. I mean, 25 to 49, the vast majority of folks here said that there's a significant influence offline versus online. So this is, this is really happening and the market is recognizing it. Now, remember, these are, this is our community. If we, if we did the same poll to the CEO of these same companies, Andy, I don't know if we'd get the same result showing, you know, that the vast majority think the offline is being heavily influenced, well, right? Well, and also how, how many times have we heard this and we still hear it now that online's got to carry its own weight. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, I'm sorry. Online actually drives every other channel. And so when you're building your ROI case, which is a lot of these metrics actually are for, you better be A, measuring and B, using this data to argue that, hey, right. we may be doing 30% of our sales online, but right. we're influencing 80% of all the company sales. Now, when we talk about whether we should invest in that new platform or on, we're not talking about a 30% discussion. Right. We're talking about an 80%, 80 discussion. discussion. Yeah, absolutely agree. Well, here's the result of our poll. We asked the question, are traditional e-com metrics like percentage to total sales still the right ones to use to measure success of digital efforts in B2B commerce and the vast majority said no 88 percent of our respondents said no the traditional metric misses digital's full impact i completely agree but again if we did this just to the you know the ceos and boards what would we say you're you know, right you know, they say we flipped that's right? exactly right so that's the question is have we penetrated the c-suite because i think there's still this bias toward traditional metrics because they're looking at all the channels they allocate resources in a traditional way, which means everybody pulls their own weight yep. vastly wrong. Exactly. So, yeah, no, it, it's fascinating. So, and that's, this is the topic of our next Mythbusters. Do you need to have, um, you know, digital at the C-suite in order to be successful in B2B e-commerce? We're going to talk about that in December. So a couple things here. We're at Friday 18 now, Andy. So we got to, we got to jam through our... Uh, our last couple points here, folks, you can see our e-commerce predictions for 2024. Go to our website. Uh, you can download the uh, report. It's, uh, again, the 2024 e-commerce predictions. We have six of them, and we have predictions around what's going to happen with the organization, with Amazon Business, with AI and other things. So uh, really cool stuff, and we, we did a whole uh, webcast on that uh, just recently, and you can also watch an on-demand replay of that webcast with some special guests. So Encourage you to take a look at that. We also have our forum, uh, which you can go out to masterb2b.com and forum. We've got 350 or so members of this forum now, and it's growing. A uh, great place where you can go and interact and network with your peers. There's uh, this is only practitioners, no um, no no solution providers, software companies, consultants. This is all uh, practitioners like you. So just submit there. And uh, and that wraps up our 15 for this week. We went to 19 this week, Andy. Any uh, any final words for our, our listeners uh, before we wrap up? Yeah, so we won't be having our podcast next week, as mentioned at the top of the broadcast, because of right. Thanksgiving. So uh, we'll see you, though, in two weeks. Awesome. Thanks, everybody, for joining. See you in two.